Hello, one and all, and welcome to Friends of the Force. I am your host, Brad Whipple, and this is From a Certain Point of View. On today's episode, we talk with an author who has been writing since the age of 13 years old and has had a storied career since. Her books include a young adult series called The Vicious Deep, the Brooklyn Bruja series. She's starting a new young adult series as well in 2020, part of the Hollow Crown series, the first installment of which will be Incendiary. And she's also been in the Star Wars universe. She wrote a story called You Owe Me a Ride for the book Star Wars from a Certain Point of View, which collected 40 short stories from the certain point of view of different characters in Star Wars A New Hope. And her most recent book was Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, A Crash of Fate. So we talk about her earliest Star Wars memories with her brother, growing up as a writer and finding out what has worked for her in her career. And we talk about helping to create the world of Batu and Galaxy's Edge. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. It's time to find out from a certain point of view what Star Wars means to author Zoraida Cordova. You told me Vader betrayed and murdered my father. Your father was seduced by the dark side of the Force. He ceased to be Anakin Skywalker and became Darth Vader. When that happened, the good man who was your father was destroyed. So what I told you was true, from a certain point of view. A certain point of view? Luke, you're going to find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. Well, joining me today on Friends of the Force is none other than Zoraida Cordova, the author of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, A Crash of Fate. Zoraida, how's it going tonight? I'm doing really great. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me on Friends of the Force on From a Certain Point of View. I'm super happy to have you, and you're actually one of the uh, first Star Wars authors that I've had on the show. So oh, this excellent. is a very <laughs> this is very exciting. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so we're uh, we're graduating into new territory here on the show, and I'm just so thrilled to be able to talk to you tonight. So, you know, for us to get started, could you tell listeners? I know many of them probably know who you are in a lot of your work, but did you want to give a little bit of an introduction to yourself? Yeah. So my name is Zoraida Cordova. I'm a New York based author. Uh, I've spent most of my career writing young adult, and have recently um, branched out into romance. Um, and I wrote Crash of Fate, which is about two, uh, two unlikely friends who are, have returned to Batu uh, and have 24 hours to deliver a parcel or die trying and shenanigans ensue. And obviously they fall in love, um, but they can't admit their feelings mm-hmm. to each other. Right. Um, I've, been writing, I've been writing since, uh, I've been publishing since 2012, but I started writing when I was 13. Um, and so it's been a long journey. But uh, I'm, you know, I'm having a very good year. Speaking of a good year, you actually just announced uh, a new book of yours coming out next year called Incendiary. So it, yeah. it seems like you're, you're up to a lot of uh, good things right now. And I'm, I'm actually really excited for that book. The cover looks amazing. So uh, a lot you. of great work from you. And I'm, I know a lot of people I've spoken to love Crash of Fate, myself included. Uh, Izzy and Jules, <laughs> they're such great characters and such great additions to the Star Wars universe. So, you know, one thing I kind of want to dive into first uh, before we we get into Crash of Fate. In the epilogue for this book, you mentioned that your first real memories of Star Wars were spent with your brother Danny in your queen's apartment reenacting fight scenes (laughs) (laughs) from Return of the Jedi. And in fact, you dedicate the book to him at the beginning saying, I have nothing left to teach you, young Padawan. So did you want to walk me through like, you know, when you first got into Star Wars with your brother and and what that was like for you guys growing up in Queens? Yeah, so we, um, my my mom... 
my mom and my uncles really love Star Wars, and my mom bought us the the trilogy on on VHS. So I, I actually saw a tweet recently of like this image of the of the box set, like the gold box set going around. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody was like, who remembers that when their dad used to have this? And I'm like, actually, my mom had that. <laughs> <laughs> so we started off, you know, watching the movies and it was it was I'm I'm five years older than him. So uh, it was o- one of the only ways to get my brother to get to go to school is to pop in that that VHS and um, I, I don't know if how many kids will know what VHSs are now. But... Oh, you're really aging us up here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, uh, putting that in and, and making like, you know, making him get up and, and myself included. Um, it was the thing that it wasn't as in the zeit- like, of course, Star Wars is hugely popular. But for some reason, it was like. The, it was like the the uncool nerdy thing when you were in high school, like your freshman mm-hmm. year of high school. If you liked like fantasy or Star Wars, at least in my neighborhood, like, you know, you were not one of the cool kids. So um, so I feel like we we felt like we had this little private club of of the thing that we loved, which was Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I think that's how a lot of other people felt as well. It was kind of weird back then because I feel like, like you said, it was kind of out of the mainstream entertainment Mm -hmm. sphere a lot of people kind of shied away or or not shied away but kind of hid their star wars fandom from a lot of other people because they're like this is so nerdy and myself was one of those people (laughs) so what what was it for you in particular about star wars that really just like grasped you you know you 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 watch the vhs tapes what was it about it that just kind of let your mind wander to a whole new area and just love it so much i think it was just the fantasy of it and having this you know bold angry princess who took no shit and you know, went on this adventure with these two guys, with these two guys and, uh, and some droids, um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, watching their adventure progress, uh, and see the thing that they fought for. I think that that was really interesting for me and, and really exciting to be able to, to be able to follow their adventures. And it made you, it made you like leave, even though it, it looked like you, we're not watching it in real time. Right. But it looked like a, a play exactly what it says a place far far away and so yeah one of one of our favorite movies was willow and um and and the Great odyssey one. like there was like a, a really like a, um i forgot what year it came out but there was like a, a, a maybe it was bbc or something like the odyssey had come out and uh my brother and i loved those like we loved merlin and willow and so like it had that feeling but it was mm-hmm. in space Right. Uh, and so the magic of that and the hero's journey, I think, is what had, has always captivated me. Um, and I feel like I've been trying to tell a story like that um, ever since. And and speaking of, of telling that story, so let's jump right into to Crash of Fate here. So the, the, yeah. the first thing I want to ask you, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners would love to know, but when did you find out you would be writing this story and and what does that initial process look like I'm, I'm very curious as to what that even the time length of how long these kinds of things are in development so it the the novels for the park um had a a, a very short timeline i should say uh in in development um it i don't I, they approached me in august of last year and by may we had a completed manuscript ready to go to print so obviously, um, I had to do a lot of research. I'd read a lot of the canon books, um, mm-hmm. and 
started watching the things that I had never watched before. Like I had never seen Clone Wars, the um, mm-hmm. the TV show, and I completely fell in love with it. Um, and I think I watched it all in one week, which is just like I just didn't leave the house. Thank goodness I write from home. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and now you're not going to leave the house this November when it's back on Disney Plus either. <laughs> yep. I'm like, damn it. Now I have to get Disney Plus. <laughs> um, but so, OK, so they they asked me if I would be up for writing um, mm-hmm. a young adult romance for Tied into the Park. Uh, and set uh, set in the world of the park is is how they phrased it. And um, obviously, I jumped at the chance to do it. And I gave them my pitch. And I had a couple of pitches ready in case they were like, "No, this is too weird." But they loved my first one, and that's the thing that became a crash of fate. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And I, I think um, you know, I, were you inspired a lot by Lost Stars? Because I feel like Lost Stars was one of the um, at least in my mind, like pure romance novels that we've had in, in Star Wars up until this book. And it, this that's why this <laughs> book was so refreshing for me in some ways, because it was like finally back to just that classic romance story of two different people going off in completely different directions, which is something you can do in the Star Wars universe, literally going off world and yeah. coming back together, a crash of fate. They meet each other by chance <laughs> and by um, fate. Everyone at Lucasfilm really wanted to capture that again. Um, and they did give me the option on whether or not I wanted a happier, tragic ending. And I was like, well, I'll let Claudia Gray be the mean author. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love her. It's my f- it's my favorite Star Wars book uh, mm-hmm. as well. So Lost Stars is absolutely, you know, inspired some of the 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 romance but i i also knew that i needed to cuz i i know how important that book is to the star wars book lovers so i knew that i i needed to have that like spark of inspiration but not necessarily follow the same trajectory mm-hmm. um and so i had to make a crash of fate you know different than than what lost stars was but you know, I think we all came to the table knowing that we wanted a, another teen, teen romance in the same vein. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned, too, you watched some Clone Wars in, in preparation for it. And I think that's uh, that show in particular is really great because it introduces a lot of different uh, mythos elements to Star Wars. Even though it's an animated show, I think a lot of people could mistakenly sleep on that show and not watch it. They do. So, yeah, no, yeah. I recommend was... it to new Star Wars friends mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Were there any arcs in that show that really stood out to you and helped inspire writing characters like Izzy and Jules? Um, you know, I really I really love myself like a young Anakin. Like uh Anakin and Padme's romance, obviously, like them trying to doing a really terrible job at keeping it secret. <laughs> uh <laughs> I think that uh when so when Ahsoka and Lux, when Ahsoka realizes that she has feelings for Lux, obviously he has feelings for somebody else, um, right. and watches her die. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, but I think that there was something about that initial young young romance, like that's something that you remember. Uh, everything that happens in our in our young adulthood is what shapes us, and it's the right. bruises and questions that we carry through our entire lives. Um, and so that was one of the arcs that I, that I liked, even though it was very short. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, um, Satine and Obi-Wan and their, their unfortunate oh, yeah. romance that could never be, um, and sort of tragic like, one. 
Mm-hmm. And so I think that Star Wars does pining really well because mm-hmm. it manages to give you good reasons why they keep people apart. Yeah. One line that really stood out to me in the book is uh, one of the characters had mentioned everyone from Batu is always either looking for a new life or running from one. And I, I think that's what makes this love story so interesting because you have Jules on one hand who has been on Batu his whole life and he feels like at some point he needs to leave. Mm-hmm. But he's kind of just stuck with the family and stuck doing the day to day. And he's also kind of complacent with that at the same time. And then yeah. you have Izzy who left as a young kid due to, you know, a lot of what her mother went through and they kind of were forced to leave. And now she's back. Like, of course I have to deliver this parcel on Batsu. Of course <laughs> I run into Jules. Like, of course. And now she's battling with, you know, being in a ship her whole life and being used to that. And now it's like she's back home and it's like she could be looking for a new life here. So I feel like yeah. that really captures the spirit of, of those two characters in their relationship. Thank you. And yeah. I think that that is the, that, the line that you said. Um, that is the spirit of Batu. Um, if you get a chance to go to Galaxy's Edge, I think that you know you 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 see the the people there, the like the the cast members. And um, I think that when when I was writing it, I was trying to figure out who the citizens are and who mm-hmm. the people that populate the outpost are. You know, yeah. because it's not just the transient people that show up, refuel, or you know, buy a ship or have a deal gone wrong with 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 Hondo or you know <laughs> or something like that it's love that the, he's involved by the way <laughs> yeah no I love that he's he's at the outpost because of course he ends up somewhere like that yeah um, I think that one of my favorite things about fantasy is is obviously you have this big big world but mm-hmm. then you have to figure out like where does everything come from who are the farmers who are the people that work there who who doesn't have the opportunity to leave? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's something that I really wanted to explore as well. And, and that's what I think you do such a great job of in this book because uh, I'm definitely saving up for Galaxy's Edge. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I want to go. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'm like, I got to get a lightsaber, the holocrons. I got to save up. So, but reading I this really made me feel. experience is great. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to get to that with you and, and Delilah too in a little bit. But sure. um, with... Uh, with Batu, I really feel like when I was reading this book, I was almost like I'm under the wishing tree, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> sitting on Batu reading this in the and and you describe the smells of Batu and and just the atmosphere of the different traders and the different side characters. Like Volt is obviously one that stands out in my mind right away. And even the story of Damar and Anatola, like they're just so great and I love how they're all involved and how they all kind of run into each other. Again, it's like a crash of fate beyond just Izzy and Jules, but mm-hmm. what's it like for you? How much creative freedom do you get in building out Batu? Because obviously, like, you know, the Lucasfilm story group, I imagine, is is kind of planning everything for the park and working alongside some of those folks. But um, how much do you get to actually, like, input, like, your own little kind of creative spices on this giant dish of Batu, like, in the process? I'm very lucky in that Lucasfilm has been very open. It's actually, I have done a lot of uh, intellectual property work before and this star wars mm-hmm. is surprisingly the most lenient <laughs> uh or most the easiest to work with um because yeah. you have creative freedom uh to explore the reason that they're picking so many different authors is because they want to keep expanding the galaxy and how do you expand the galaxy but by getting you know all kinds of voices mm-hmm. um 
so I was actually afraid in the beginning to like make too many choices. Uh, and, and story group would give me notes like you make up your own moon or make up your own species. And so being able to contribute to that was really cool. Um, Imagineering did come in and because they're the ones who created the park um, and created a lot of the stories of the park. Uh, if, obviously, they created all the stories of the park. So uh, you have somebody in Imagineering going through my dialogue uh, and saying, like, this is a little nice for a stormtrooper. Uh, and my friends make fun of me because they tell me I'm too nice. So <laughs> nobody's surprised there. So I had to like mean it up for Star Wars, uh, for my right. Star character. And uh, and so it, it was really fun being able to have those kinds of notes and the notes from Lucasfilm, um, which would you know go over inconsistencies or, for instance, like um, I don't know how cars work and I don't know how speeders work either. So uh, <laughs> like, what are the 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 innards of of the speeder i i need to know i need to be a mechanic i need to be a star wars right. mechanic for two seconds so somebody at lucasfilm help me um and and <laughs> it, so, so that this scene which is funny be because the speeder you mostly write about is broken down all the time exactly <laughs> as, you know exactly. jules the speeder like, is always having trouble i need jules the speeder <laughs> to break down but it needs to you know it needs to keep moving so it's like i was like how do you put a speeder in control <laughs> Uh, so those, those, those kinds of questions, like the technical <laughs> questions are really fun to go over with, with, uh, with Lucasfilm and everyone there knows so much about the galaxy. So it was, um, it was like taking mm -hmm. a, it was a crash course in, in, in a lot of the star Wars stuff, but I also, you know, I've, I've owned the, the visual encyclopedia. So I already knew the things that I wanted to incorporate. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, so I, being able to, to create, create my own, my own moons and characters, you know, Volt, uh, was inspired by my stepdad who is, uh, a, a Vietnam vet. And so Volt is also, uh, a, 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 a veteran of a war. And so, uh, they have the same like personality and I get a yeah. text message from my stepdad who was like, my favorite character was Volt. And I was like, of course your favorite character is the one that is exactly like you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh that's so funny <laughs> yeah and so um those things are fun it's really nice to hear that you you do have so much freedom with it and the fact that you have all these resources in the background so you can you're kind of allowed to do your thing and make your own characters make your own creatures even and then you you have all those again resources behind you to to help you out with it yeah we all remember that we're there are parameters that you work within. Mm -hmm. And if there's ever something that is just so completely off left field that nobody, it doesn't belong, you know, they will tell you and they'll right. say, actually, let's go in this direction. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like you have parameters and you want it to feel like Star Wars. So I think that they trust us to know that uh, we're doing like the best job that we can with uh, within within the world that everybody loves so much. Mm -hmm. What would you say is your favorite thing that you, you, um, maybe in the realm of Batu or in the world of Batu, what is like your favorite little, uh, thing that you've added to that world? Um, looking back at that creative process. Um, I think it was the relationship with the farmers, uh, in like Katsaka's grain farms. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that it was important for me to feel like there was a community there. Um, and, 
because you have this market full of people, but where do those people go when, you know, they're not living at the outposts or right. not everyone lives in Black Spire Outposts. It's not, it's not a sprawling place. It's very intimate and, and, and concentrated. Um, and what about the people that don't want to, you know, like being from New York, who wants to live in the middle of, um, Times Square. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody. (laughs) So obviously people do, but yeah, (laughs) but you know, uh, (laughs) so I think it was the community there. Mm -hmm. Um, and Jules, like I, I love Jules. He's my favorite character. I love Izzy too, but, um, Jules is more of a dreamer like myself. So Mm that's, that's awesome. Yeah. With going to, uh, Batu now you, you recently just went on a trip there, uh, with Delilah Dawson and I was definitely following along with your guys' pictures on Instagram and Twitter, and it looked like you guys had such a great trip because, you know, obviously for those of you out there listening, Delilah's writing or has written Black Spire, which fits into the Galaxy Edge, uh, Galaxy's Edge realm, which I'm excited to see other characters from your book also pop up in that as I'm reading it, like Katsaka is involved. So what was that like for you two to, to... Actually, I'll start with this. Did you guys collaborate at all while you were each writing your books? I know the timeline's pretty short. You said from... Uh, you know, end of last year up till May. So did you guys kind of um, have some conversations in terms of here's what I'm doing? What are you doing? And then maybe try to weave in some similar characters and similar elements of Batu? We did have a conversation about what we were doing. Um, Delilah knew that I was writing A Crush of Fate before I knew she was writing Black Spire. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, but because, so the, 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 the rise of the resistance timeline is about there's like there's it's about six months right so it's it's mm-hmm. between um, episode eight and episode nine, and um, Vimarati in Black Spire, um, she's searching for a base like Leia puts her in charge of, of getting a new base for the resistance and like obviously no one's gonna find us in Batu, <laughs> uh, but of course Famous the last first words. order does does show up there. Yeah. So they're both on the planet, but the the first order does a very good job at staying hidden because Batu is a place that is made up of ruins. Um and so her, her we we knew that her book was going to be at the very beginning of that timeline and my book was going to be at the very end of the cuz I wanted my my book to end and to brush up against the um the moment where the resistance and the first order, re- like the, where the resistance reveals itself on the planet. Okay. So when they're having that confrontation, I wanted to brush up against that and have my characters see, see the moment that that happens. Gotcha. Um, but Del- Delilah's book is like the setting up of, of the base. Mm-hmm. Um, so all I needed to know was, that Delilah didn't blow up something on the on the base that I might have needed later on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But other than that, you know, the characters that we share are the characters that exist in um, on planet, like um, Doc Ondar and Olga, right? Uh, Olga Barra and um, and Cat. So those are the characters that we shared. But everything else is um, is is our own Great. and, uh, and separate. Gotcha. Yeah. And then you, you two recently got to take a trip to, um, to Batu. So what was that like for you guys after writing these books to finally go there together and, and share the experience and even find Vi Marathi on there and all these other characters that you were, 
you were writing in your books. Like, how exciting is that? Because that, I can't imagine what that, how surreal that might be. It was super surreal. I mean, there was, we got to, we were in Florida for, I think, four or five days. And I know that Delilah had gone to the West Coast Galaxy's Edge, but mm-hmm. she hadn't been to the, to obviously to the, the, the Florida one. And so we were able to go at like eight o'clock in the morning when there was nobody there. And it was just us and some of the cast members and and Ethan Sachs and Will Sliney, who were the uh, author illustrator duo of the, the Galaxy's Edge comic books, mm-hmm. they hadn't arrived yet either. So mm-hmm. it felt like we had this entire planet to ourselves. And even when you're within Galaxy's Edge at Walt Disney Studios, you're you don't feel like you're anywhere else like it it feel they did such a good job at making it feel so contained mm-hmm. like the rest of the world doesn't exist like you are on batu and it it was really beautiful to to be able to walk around i took a bunch of pictures in front of the millennium falcon obviously right um we had to wait a couple of days to go get drinks at uh at oga's cantina but it was definitely worth it uh because there's a there's a drink that is in my book that I made sure I got to drink when I was at the actual <laughs> cantina, so cool. <laughs> which was the fuzzy tauntaun. <laughs> I love that. Um, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I got to ask, are you yeah. a, a green or blue milk fan? I'm a blue milk fan. Yeah. That's a, that's a classic one for sure. <laughs> Just keeping it classic. Um, yeah. I think the blue, the, the, um, the, the green milk, um is a little citrusy for my taste mm-hmm. but the blue milk is very refreshing especially you know uh especially for for 90 90 degree humidity that is for <laughs> that is that is batu <laughs> yeah definitely batu slash florida and california <laughs> mm-hmm. so with with uh going to batu as well you know in getting the actual layout of the land i remember i think i'd seen a video online of of you at a, a barnes and noble down there doing some sort of q a and um, you and Delilah had mentioned you guys get some sort of little map while you're you're uh, writing the books. Is that correct? And you and you kind of use that to help you map out some things in your story. Yes, we got we we got access to these like super secret documents um, where you log on and it's time stamped down to the second that you open it up. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> it has your name across, all watermarked, uh, and it it's it's scanned it's scanned pdf so you can't really search it for when you need something right like Mm -hmm. let's say i need to reference a character and it's broken up in sections so it's like land character different like the different areas of the of the of the planet and so like i made myself a little key so that i i knew that like if i wanted if i want to read about doc under i go to page x um or if i want to look up um the flora and fauna of the planet, I go to, you know, page Y. And so that was really helpful um, because this is all from, from Imagineering. Mm -hmm. Um, So they, they put so much thought and, and into creating this and making it feel like a real civilization. So like they work down to like from everything from the greetings, because you, when you think about what makes up a culture, Right. And even a even a place like Batu, which is supposed to be uh, a new civilization, like a civilization that came that settled there after nothing, no one else was there. Right. Um, there's only like 
the ruins and the petrified trees, which create the spires. Um, so what does their civilization look like, right? This mixture of humans and aliens and um, what do they say in the mornings? What do they eat there? What is what grows there? So mm-hmm. those those world building things were everything was thought of. Yeah, you're getting your own little almost like a cheat sheet for Batu, which I, I'm sure helped you tremendously during that that process. And one thing I do want to talk about too is, is your your process in particular. So as a writer, you said you've been writing since you were you're 13 years old. What is your like go to during the writing process? Like how how do you? I mean, I'm a writer myself a little bit, but it is a very challenging process because you really have to reach in your, you know, deepen yourself and, and, and figure out like, what can I put on this paper in front of me, you know? And so like, what really gets you in particular in the zone and, and what's like the most challenging part for you in writing this particular story? So the thing that gets, it, it's, it's sometimes it's hard um, to answer this question because I, I feel like I've been on deadline perpetually for the last three years. And I, I ha- I write because I at this point because I have to fulfill deadlines, but within that it gets tricky. How do you maintain that pace when you know that you have to refill your creative well? Right. Right. Um, and I'm just lucky enough to have uh, writing partners uh, who are also YA authors. Um, like I share an office with um, Danielle Clayton and Marco Shiro, who are two YA authors that you know everyone should check out. Um, we, we bounce ideas off of each other. So when I'm stuck, um, I can go to Danielle and say, I'm quitting writing. And she'll be like, you're not this, <laughs> like, you know, let's talk out the reason right. why you're creatively blocked. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's how I maintain that. Um, I am, I am a, an outline type of writer. I can't, I can't just you know, like Danny Jose Older, author of <laughs> Solo, The Last Shot, <laughs> um, he can he likes to write without an outline. And mm-hmm. we'll have arguments about this all the time. Like, I'll be like, how do you do that? And he's like, I get bored if I know the ending. And I'm like, but sort of like having, you know, knowing that you're you're getting like dessert at the end of your meal, like, you know, it's coming. You're just like making your way there. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a great way to describe it. So we, we have a different approach to writing. Um and, and so I outline because I like having those emotional beats and knowing that I'm moving towards those beats and it's a roadmap. I know my ending and I know my beginning mm-hmm. as soon as I start going into a book. Um, those are the things that have never changed in any of my novels. Like my, my first sentence and my last sentence, I write those down and they don't, they have, I think there's only one instance where it changed, but out of 13 novels, nothing you know like nothing has um that's been my process i should mm-hmm. say that's that's fantastic i think if and especially yeah if that works for you I, I think that is a really good process too you know kind of have your bookends to what you want to create and then everything in the middle is a giant sandbox you know and and you know regardless of how you get from point a to point b it's all up to you now so that's i think that's a good way to approach it yeah. was there was there anything and i really like this question in particular but was there anything that you learned about yourself during the writing process that you maybe didn't know before with this story in particular? Cause I feel like every time a writer goes through, um, any sort of experience on one of these books, you know, there's, there's always something new that you can learn. It's always a learning process. So like, what did you learn about yourself? I think that I, every time I write a book, I learn something different. Um, one that 
the, the very first, like the second book that I ever wrote, I knew that I needed to learn how to outline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, you know, the third book was I needed to be, I needed to dig deeper into my emotions or, and then my book, like seven, which was Labyrinth Lost, I, I needed to like, let go of some of my own, um, my own fears about writing. Um, and so with, with a crash of fate, I think that the thing that I learned was to have confidence in the decisions that I make when it comes to story. Um, and that I need to, like, if, if I have an, uh, like a gut feeling about, uh, a character decision, I should lean into my gut feeling. And I think that as writers, um, and maybe like sometimes like women who write, um, we don't trust our instincts enough all the time because we're, I feel like sometimes I'm, I'm thinking too much about what the reader is going to think instead of writing the book and, and, and prioritizing what I think that my character should be doing. Mm -hmm. Um, and hoping that I've established a setting, uh, a problem and, um, and the story well enough that my reader is going to trust me to keep going. Uh, and so writing, writing a crash of fate was a great exercise in that because, um, it was really, you know, I I felt so much pressure in, in getting this right because I know how intense fandoms can be. And, um, and so, uh, you know, the fear of that, plus the the looming deadline mm-hmm. uh, or truncated deadline um, was a lot. But I got it done and I was really happy with the story. And obviously we edit books, right? So right. Like when I went to yeah. the editorial stage uh, and my editor had all these questions, I was like, you know, she she would like some of the the things that I did and I was and I knew that I was right in in making certain decisions like um, settling longer into Jules's introduction, right? Like not to rush that and to, to see him in his home um, and in his sister's apartment and to see who his neighbors are uh, and seeing what his life in on the outpost is. Um, and so like, I'm glad that I, I decided to go back in and put all of that back because I was afraid that like nobody would want to see that. But mm-hmm. now that I read, you know, I, people have been telling me like, oh, I love these characters. I love these moments with him in the beginning of the book. Yeah. And so, you know, trust your instincts, guys. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. I'm, I'm so glad you put that in because I think for any story, it really, I think what this story did really well was you, you paced it very well and getting to learn our characters before they have that crash of fate eventually. So, you know, it makes it that much more meaningful once they're mm-hmm. t- back together from their, you know, that childhood prologue that we had um, right in the beginning. So you talk a little bit about, you know, you, you would think about maybe what the, uh, what people would think reading this book versus the decisions you needed to make for yourself. So what, what's gone through your mind on release day when, you know, the book's out there, it's on bookshelves and stores. Like I, I got to imagine that's a crazy feeling. Like how exciting is that for you to see, you know, people praising your story online. It's not your first time into star Wars. I mean, you wrote from a certain point of view, you had a story in there um, called you owe me a ride. So it wasn't your first time doing a Star Wars yes. story, but this was like your first full novel. So what was it like seeing the reaction to this book? Because I think it was overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, it was it was so positive. So thank you, everyone. Um, 
I think that I I walked around Manhattan and I went to book signing. I, I went to bookstores and signed their stock. And I'd be like, hi, I wrote this book. <laughs> <laughs> so, which is something that I do with every yeah. single one of my books. I was like, I go to the store mm-hmm. and I sign their stock. So just so there's something there um, in case people want signed copies. Um, I think I just, I just really loved, uh, how much more people want to know about Izzy and Jules. So like, I know that, I know that I did a good job when I keep getting messages asking me for a sequel and I'm like, I can't control <laughs> that. You should just tweet at disneybooks.com, uh, no, at yeah. disneybooks on Twitter and be like, mm-hmm. we would like a sequel yeah. to a crash of fate. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll start the hashtag. We'll do the hashtag crash of fate too. make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at this book and and the legacy that you hope this book has and what what ultimately you hope readers take away from it, because I think there are a lot of great lessons in it. It's a lesson about love. It's a lesson about family. It's a lesson about home. There's just so much in it, which is why I think it's it's just so heartwarming to read and something I can't really put down when I was going through it. So what do you hope people take away from this book after reading it? What's what is the legacy for A Crash of Fate? Um, I think that it's the very Star Wars notion of believing in hope and trusting your found family. Um, I think that Izzy and Jules still have a lot to work with. You know, they've, they were only together for a day before they decided to like, you know, make a go of a relationship Mm -hmm. they knew had been building since they were children. Um, but I think that I want, I want people to take away, uh, the strength that the strength that you find from others and right. And like, no matter what you go through in life, you still have to, you, you still put trust in the people that love you and that you love. Um, and so star Wars to me has always been about hope and love and rebellion. And I think that a crush of fate has elements of that. And, um, I hope that people see that. Mm -hmm. What would be your your best piece of writing advice that you have for any upcoming writers or something that has really helped you? I know you talked a lot about outlining. What is your um, your best piece of advice for somebody out there who might be putting pens to paper or who might be having writer's block or who may not have hope in themselves to, to continue on? Like what really helps you? You know, there's so much writing advice out there. And I think that it's important to learn all of the rules and learn all of the the learn all like the advice from the the big authors like that that exists but at the at the same time you have to like learn the rules in order to break them mm-hmm. and figure out what works specifically for you because what works for Stephen King <laughs> does not work for me <laughs> uh, much different <laughs> even though yeah it's you know and what works for J.K. Rowling doesn't work for me yeah. so it it it's it's finding it's finding your own voice and the, the the way that you learn what your voice is is by reading widely and reading um mm-hmm. reading consistently right so if you uh if you like a certain author's dialogue you you read it to understand why you like that dialogue versus another book that you might not feel the same way towards um you read a book that figure out the books that you keep rereading and you study them. So you, you read books for enjoyment, but also because this is your business and this is your craft and you're always trying to hone that craft. Um, and the only way you do that is by, by going out and reading books and also like 
you live a life, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But we also live through books because not everyone has that privilege or accessibility to, you know, just pick up and spend a summer in like Spain or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But you can certainly read books. And I know that sounds like a little woo, -woo, but uh, (laughs) you just, (laughs) sometimes it's the only way to really go about it. Was there any uh, authors in particular that really stuck with you growing up reading a lot of books that made you think, you know, what was the moment you decided you wanted to be a writer? Because 13 years old, that's, for me, I wanted to be a meteorologist when I was 13 years old. That was (laughs) not at all the career choice (laughs) I went after, um, as you can probably tell. Um, Unless you want to know the weather, just let me know. But what is it like for you that early on to just decide this is what I want to do with my life? Is there a a writer or a story that just really impacted your life in a way that that was it? Sort of. I mean, I, you know, I was born in Ecuador and we moved to New York. We immigrated to New York when I was five. So I was very lucky that my mom wasn't one of those moms who was like, we didn't come to this country so you could be an artist she was like, you know, we came to this country so you could do whatever you want. And the thing that I wanted was to be a writer. And I, you know, I don't really think that there, I can't remember any super creative people in my family, like no offense to my family. Um, There are some musicians, but there's nobody in my family who's like a storyteller or a writer. So I don't know where that came from. I remember being 13 years old and picking up a book about vampires <laughs> and it, it was written by a girl who was my age and it was published by Random House, which is like a real publisher. And um, it was called In the Forest of the Night and it was it was about a, a young vampire girl who like is getting re- like revenge or I, I honestly can't even remember the plot anymore, but I remember the title and I remember the author because I looked her up. I think she was in like teen people or, or young magazine, like YM magazine, which I used to read, you know, obviously read all the teen magazines when I, um, when I was a, a 13 year old. Um, and I saw the profile on her and she was my age. And I was like, she's my age. I can do this. This Mm -hmm. is something that I can do. And I think that we have nothing in common, right? She's from Massachusetts. Amelia Water Road. She's from Massachusetts. She's from like, um, she's, we have nothing in common in our backgrounds. Um, but she was my age. And I think that seeing somebody who even shares a little bit of your identity allows you to understand that this is something that is in the, that is possible for you. Mm-hmm. So seeing another teenage girl, and not just like the old dead white guys that I read in my English literature class. Yeah. Uh, was something that sparked it, like it, it, you know, a light bulb went on in my head that that said this was a this was a, a life choice for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been hard. It hasn't been easy. But I wish I could go back and be like, hey, thirteen year old Zoraida, you're gonna write a Star Wars book one day. <laughs> I, I'm not. I don't know if she uh, would have believed you when she was jumping around with her, her brother on the bed playing Star Wars and the Return of the Jedi and acting all all those scenes. So um, it, it's exactly. pretty wild and, how far and you've come. He was, <laughs> right, and obviously he was always Luke, and I was always Jabba. So. Rude. <laughs> 
So just to kind of wrap some things up here, what I what I would like to ask you about is what excites you the most about the, the future of Star Wars right now? There's a ton going on in, in the Star Wars realm with Disney Plus and movies and even more novels. Hey, Disney, make a Crash of Fate too, please. Yes. So what, what excites you the most right now in, in terms of the franchise? So the franchise is going to some really huge places. Obviously, I'm so excited with everything that's going to come out of um, uh, The Rise of Skywalker, uh, but... I'm super excited about The Mandalorian because I love Pedro Pascal so much. Um, And obviously Diego Luna. And so, you know, Latinos in space uh, are are of an interest of mine. Um, Mm. Yeah, Pedro Pascal, we don't deserve him. He's amazing. (laughs) We do deserve him, but he is just so good. He's my favorite. (laughs) Um, But I I think that I I do know some things. So I think that everyone's going to be so excited with the projects that, Lucasfilm publishing has in store for you guys. Like mm-hmm. it's, a, it's really great. Yeah. Obviously I can't talk about any of them, uh, but they're so great. <laughs> Give us all the secrets. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's really great to hear. And uh, as, as a lifelong Star Wars fan and, and for many of us out there, it doesn't matter when you got into the franchise. And that's kind of what this series is about in particular. Everybody has their, their certain point of view where they enter the, the Star Wars universe. So um, you never know what exciting projects are coming up that might, you know, spark the imagination of a, a young girl or a young boy and cause them to be Star Wars fans for life. And I think that's the exciting thing of why it's come back into the fold now with the Disney acquisition. There's just so many new stories to tell beyond what we were kind of stuck with for a while. And and that's that's super exciting and it's it's hopeful. Yeah. And I mean, like, obviously, I love the the Skywalker saga and I love the characters that we've created. But yeah. look at how well things like, you know, Doc Afra have done and, and seeing these these other characters that come up mm-hmm. sharing the spotlight with uh, with the main characters that we love so much. But it's a like giant galaxy. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Who else exists there? What other stories are we going to tell? Um, yeah. And I think the possibility of that, even the possibility of it is exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I, I'm super excited. One question I love wrapping up the show with here is when you think of one word or phrase that comes to your mind when you think of Star Wars or how it makes you feel or even the impact it has made on the world, what is that What is that word or phrase? And also, um, how do you think you'd be different without Star Wars in your life? Oh, that's actually a really big question. Uh, I don't know. I think I want to say Star Wars is Star Wars is really powerful. Um, it it means so many things to so many different people. It is the cause of so many, you know, rifts between fandoms. Um, but I think that it's because people it means so much to them that they're ready to throw down for the characters that they love. Um, but it's also hopeful. And so I think, I don't know. I, I almost can't imagine, you know, like that movie that just came out, um, where nobody remembers the Beatles except for one person. Oh yeah. Yesterday. Yesterday. I love that film. Actually. It was was a lot of fun. Imagine if like, nobody remembered star wars one day like we just woke up in this like horrible world (laughs) um but if you and maybe there is one person there's like a chosen one who remembers star wars um (laughs) yeah it's user ida you're the chosen one (laughs) i am the yeah 
Um, <laughs> well, with the number of times that my name has appeared in different variations in some of the the, the latest uh, <laughs> works, I feel like I am. Um, yeah. But never I, say never. <laughs> <laughs> there's an episode of um, Legends of Tomorrow where the I don't know if you're familiar with the show, but it's part of the DC universe. It's DC TV shows. Um, and the legends go and they try to save George Lucas from, um, because some, like there's a big bad that is trying to remove, uh, the legends and the legends themselves would never have gone into their respective fields. Like Ray Palmer would never have become a scientist if he hadn't, um, or gone into like tech, if he had never seen star Wars and, um, the other guy whose name I always forget, um, he would never have become, um, a uh, archaeologist if he hadn't seen Indiana Jones so he mm-hmm. removes um he removes George Lucas um they remove George Lucas from the timeline and so the two characters start to disappear and i think about huh. that sometimes um because that's really the, interesting there's, there's some things that are so found like the, they're the foundations of of some of our our characters and uh, look at all the things that Star Wars has inspired, right? So, like, we would remove so much from our timeline and so many people from our timeline. So, let's not mm-hmm. think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny you mentioned uh, the movie yesterday because in that movie, I don't, I don't know if you've seen it, but at one point he's like, I feel like Harry Potter and his girlfriend's like, who? And he's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I was like, no, not Harry Potter. Yep. <laughs> I hope Star yeah. Wars is still intact in this universe. That that's That's awesome. So... Uh, Zoraida, thank you so much for for coming on the show today. It truly means a lot. And again, you are uh, Friends of the Force's official first Star Wars author that we've had on this series. So congratulations. It's a really big deal, I promise. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I want to ask you, can you give us a little glimpse of some of your upcoming projects that you can talk about that people should look into even outside the realm of Star Wars? And also, where can people find your work uh, and you on social media? Right. So I have a a book in 2020 called Incendiary, which is a high fantasy set in a a secondary world that kind of looks like um, 15th century Spain. Um, And it's about a young rebel girl with magical powers who um, is infiltrating the the palace in order to kill the king. Um, And it's very inspired by rebels and star wars (laughs) sign me up Uh, and that one comes out yeah it comes out april 28th uh and then i have the finale to my brooklyn bruja series which is a series that um i'm the most known for uh and it it culminates the the trilogy of three sisters three magical sisters and so the third the third youngest coolest sister gets finally gets her say uh and tells tells a side of her story um, and that one doesn't have a title yet or has a title, but I'm not allowed to say it. Um, and right now it's just called Brooklyn Brew House three. <laughs> and, um, you can find me on Twitter at Z like in Zorro, the phrase Z like in Zorro. And on Instagram, I am Zoraida solo. Perfect. Obviously a solo fan there, right? <laughs> 
Absolutely. Yep, always. Well, Zoraida, thank you so much again for for coming on today. I I think a lot of listeners are really going to appreciate hearing your story. And and, uh, we all love Crash of Fate. Again, let's make Crash of Fate 2 happen. Let's start the movement (laughs) out there if you're listening. We want want Zoraida back. So, and hopefully we'll see you back writing some future Star Wars stories. Um, very excited to see the future of that. So, yeah, I would love that. Again, thank, you so uh, much. thank you again so much, Zoraida. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, may the forest be with you, and may the forest be with all of you out there listening to this episode. Hey, listeners, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Hopefully you enjoyed this installment up from a certain point of view and really connected with Zoraida Cordova's story. Now, again, you can go find Crash of Fate pretty much in any bookstore you can find. You can do Amazon, Barnes & Noble, you name it, your local bookstores. Definitely go support those. But also head over to her Twitter and see all the cool upcoming stories that she's writing as well. Now, as for the podcast, you can find us at Friends of Force on Twitter and at Friends of the Force on Instagram, both of which include links to our website. And you can find me at Brad Whipple. So make sure you go follow us there if you haven't already and review the show wherever you listen. That way we can continue to get listeners for the show and grow the Friends of the Force community. Speaking of Friends of Force community, you can join our Patreon starting at just $1 a month at patreon.com slash Friends of the Force. This gets you exclusive access access, early episodes, Discord, you name it. Again, that's just $1 a month or $12 a year. So if you think we're worth $12 a year, consider joining the Patreon. We would be super humbled to have you. And thank you to our current patrons. We have Alderanian Rose, Charlie Skywalker, Neil Lowry, Gina Sanders, Real Farm Boy, and Timothy Dunlap. So thank you all for supporting Friends of the Force. And Friends of the Force is also a part of the Star Wars Escape Pods network. That is at We Are Escape Pods promoting positivity and fandom. So that is all for today's episode. Until next time, we're all ones with the Force. We're all friends of the Force, and may the Force be with you always. Always.